Welcome to the SoCal Hymns Podcast. My name is Dr. Alan Young, and today we are featuring a conversation with Dr. Anthony Chang on the current state of artificial intelligence in healthcare. Dr. Anthony Chang is the Chief Intelligence and Innovation Officer for the Sharon Disney Lund Medical Intelligence and Innovation Institute at Children's Hospital, Orange County. Dr. Chang attended Johns Hopkins University for his Bachelor of Arts in Molecular Biology prior to entering Georgetown University School of Medicine for his medical doctorate degree. He then completed his pediatric residency at Children's Hospital National Medical Center and his pediatric cardiology fellowship at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. He completed his master's in business administration at the University of Miami School of Business and also a master's in public health at the Jonathan Fielding School of Public Health at UCLA. Finally, he completed his master's of science in data science with a subspecialization in artificial intelligence from Stanford School of Medicine and is also a computer scientist in residence at Chapman University. He's the founder and medical director of the Medical Intelligence and Innovation Institute that is supported by the Sharon Disney Lund Foundation. He is also the organizing chair for the Artificial Intelligence in Medicine annual meeting, the largest meeting that focuses on applications of artificial intelligence in medicine. Thank you, Anthony Chang, for joining us today for the SoCal Hymns podcast. Uh, Want to go ahead and get started and have our conversation around the current state of artificial intelligence in healthcare. And want to first ask you, really, what prompted you as a physician to start down the path of learning about and becoming uh, really uh, an authority on artificial intelligence in healthcare? Well, I'm still a um, student of artificial intelligence. The more I learn, I realize the more there is to learn. And um, But it's a good thing. It's a lifelong journey, as you know. So uh, I think it was the combination of several things. One is having always been interested in data and statistics and have taught it. The second is realizing that debates and controversies in my field and other fields are decades long without a a resolution of any kind in terms of finding the answer. So frustration with not knowing the answer to questions that people have been asking for a long time. And then thirdly, I think the epiphany for me was when IBM supercomputer Watson beat the human contestants on Jeopardy. Uh, I'm sure other physicians also saw this resource as a potential for um, something that would be shifting the paradigm in the practice of medicine. So those three things combined, I think, um, um, prompted me to go back to school and get the education I needed to really appreciate all the nuances and um, sophistication of data science and artificial intelligence. That's great for people out there who are interested in exploring more around artificial intelligence. There's kind of a whole, um, you know, plethora of activities and different organizations that are uh, starting to promote artificial intelligence. There's degrees, as you've mentioned, that people can pursue. Um, but what I'm interested in is really how did you decide, given your roles uh, as a physician as well, how did you really start to pioneer projects or get involved in organizations utilizing AI? Um, and how has that journey been in terms of uh, working with non-physicians, uh, working within healthcare systems? Uh, if you could talk a little bit about the challenges there and, and what really motivated you to try to build artificial intelligence into what you do on a day-to-day basis. Sure, Alan. I think it's uh, a 
long four-year journey while I was in school and learned how potent um, data science can be in terms of answering clinical questions and understanding the uh, intricacies of um, biomedical computer programming languages like R and Python and MATLAB and realizing these are really amazing tools to answer questions and do projects. So one interesting project that I did while I was still in school was as a cardiologist, and I think this is a good example how if a physician has a need for something different, then it's always good to think about a totally different realm to find the answer. So as a cardiologist, I was always interested in the possibility of combining an echocardiogram, which is, you know, um, gives you physiologic information, but the anatomic uh, details are not good. Um, with an MRI, which is the opposite, great anatomic detail, but no physiology. And uh, with um, some MedLab programming, you can actually combine the two images into one, which is amazing when you look at the final image. So uh, I think that was one small project that really was sort of whetted my appetite to do other things. And then um, when you go into the hospital setting with the emphasis on... Um, decision support and um, prognosticating um, readmissions as well as morbidity and mortality. Um, there were projects that we were doing at the Children's House Orange County that focused on finding out patients that um, had to be readmitted and also morbidity and mortality. So that's the longer term projection. And then on the real time basis, it was also good to have some tools in the ICU setting that could help us um, figure out which patients may be um, at more danger to have a cardiac arrest than others. So there's sort of real time ICU decision support as well as longer term sort of projecting types of projects that you can do with um, pretty straightforward R programming and um, looking at data. Uh, as you know, the major um, inadequacy in the healthcare system is data completeness and data accuracy. So despite that, we're able to, I think, do some pretty interesting projects. Uh, one of the things I'm most excited about is right now uh, trying to form a data dyad or a what I call a learning system. But I think once you have data from more than one hospital, then it becomes essentially a um, the beginning of a universal learning system when you share data and then ask questions and do um, data science on that data. So I think there's some very, really exciting possibilities. Of course, the rage right now is in radiology and other medical image intensive fields like pathology and dermatology and ophthalmology and also uh, my field, cardiology. So there's a lot of um, interest in deep learning and looking at medical image interpretation. And But I think, you know, um, this is only the beginning, uh, the tip of the iceberg. I think a lot more exciting possibilities will arise when we realize that um, artificial intelligence is much more than deep learning or uh, machine learning, uh, much more than medical image interpretation, and actually uh, even more about 
helping the clinician see the signal in the noise um, with all the methodologies that are available. Yeah, that's a great point. And I really want to understand a little bit more about the success you've had at your organization of getting them to embrace some of the projects that encompass artificial intelligence. And you mentioned a number of different specialties, and we've seen the rise of artificial intelligence solutions in radiology, dermatology, pathology, uh, pharmacology, even orthopedics as well. Uh, And many of these specialties tend to promote or advocate for solutions that really help clinicians enhance their workflows or drive efficiency or give them some clinical decision support. But the challenge has always been healthcare is becoming very, very cost-focused. And so can you share with kind of the listeners how they can go about within their organizations to start to plant the seeds of getting uh, artificial intelligence projects uh, adopted, accepted, and scaled across you know the, either the hospital or even a larger health system? Sure. I think... Um one should look at a portfolio of data science and AI-related projects and figure out, um, you know, between the clinician and the administration, what the likely return is and what's the likely timeline. Because some of the projects are going to yield great clinical benefit, um, but not necessarily in terms of dollars. And then there are other projects um, that will yield, you know, dollars, dollars saved. And, um, and I think an example of a project that would yield clinical, um, benefit, but perhaps not, at least in the immediate future, a lot of dollars saved would be something like, um, a sophisticated deep learning algorithm for medical image interpretation in the radiology suite. I think that would be an example where you have to slowly build a cost savings because essentially it um, adds to the accuracy of the interpretation. But as you know, you don't get paid extra for a more accurate interpretation. So, um, but where, where it can help is potentially um, you can have an AI, you know, sort of um, robotic process automation project that will be sort of like a sophisticated chatbot that can essentially cut back on the radiologist's time doing very mundane administrative tasks, um, like looking up things or searching for things. So I think that would be um, man hours saved, and or the radiologist can be freed up to do other things. So, you know, I think um, it's best to have a portfolio of projects and um, sort of find a sweet spot, particularly between yielding clinical benefit and at the same time um, save dollars. And I think in terms of saving dollars, I think one really good area right now is the RPA or the robotic process automation area, because that's essentially allowing automation take care of a lot of the very mundane human um, performed tasks right now that are repetitive and that are Uh, time-consuming, but can be easily replaced with an algorithm. So things like um, finding authorizations and looking up things that can be done automatically um, can save um, man hours or woman hours and get rid of some of the really mundane part of um, people's jobs and hopefully make 
Um, but the people that are doing those tasks right now um, make their jobs more interesting. So it's cost saving and maybe retention uh, for um, the benefit of the people doing those jobs right now. Yeah, there's definitely opportunity to drive efficiency in that area. And a lot of the things we've read about recently among our physician colleagues is around burnout and the need for tools and solutions to decrease the administrative burden to allow clinicians, nurses, physicians, and others to focus on providing quality care and and focusing more on outcomes and engaging patients versus creating unnecessary work for them. Um, So definitely want to continue to to look at solutions that will help drive that. Um, One thing I've noticed here in Southern California is is the rise of a lot of uh, innovation, startup, or uh, kind of investment uh, arms, uh, such as the uh, Cedars-Sinai Accelerator powered by Techstars. There's the Innovation Institute in Newport Beach. And all of these seem to me to help foster uh, a culture of innovation and allow support for startups that usually are focused on a solution that is not widely accepted yet. And wanted to get your thoughts and experience on working alongside or within these organizations. How can uh, other health systems really take advantage of the types of work being done and supported uh, in these innovation institutes? Um, And can we use that and really share knowledge to identify solutions that that could be, you know, used on a more uh, population-based uh, approach. Um, are you asking that question in the context of um, AI or just um, in innovation overall? Uh, yeah, we can talk about innovation overall, but then you can take examples from your experience using AI because a lot of companies now, if you look at the numbers, the, the amount of kind of investment in artificial intelligence is continuing to rise and uh, startups have started to really put AI technologies as one of the cornerstones of their solutions. And so how do these innovation institutes or accelerators really drive a little bit more uh, success for them to survive and scale? Well, I think there's right now quite a conundrum with AI and innovation and how to achieve both better utility of physicians' talents as well as yield uh, a return on the investment. So I think we're all trying to figure that out. Um, I used to think innovation and intelligence are two separate realms, but I'm, you know, last few years, really obvious to me now that the two are intertwined like the strands of a DNA. You know, it's, you can't do a lot of um, cutting edge innovation like AR and, you know, augmented reality and VR or virtual reality as well as 3D printing and all of that without a sophisticated algorithm. At the same time, you can't do artificial intelligence without a really creative, innovative mindset to to sort of design think your way into solving problems. And I think um, and I think a smart institution would look at both of these um, re- new resources as ways you can create and design an elegant solution to a very, very difficult problem. So I think the near future and in the distant future, I think there are going to be more and more solutions as use cases come forward to look at um, uh, a 
intelligent way to solve an old problem, which I think we all could use. You know, if you look at the U.S. economy with um, with um, uh, $3 trillion almost of um, healthcare costs, uh, I think it's not a secret that maybe a third of that money is wasted or extremely inefficiently utilized. So I think where I see AI and innovation coming in uh, in the future is both forces will be very critical in trimming the fat off of the healthcare system so that you end up with a very lean and mean uh, machine of healthcare delivery. And uh, because humans aren't doing a good job, I guess. Um, so you need both, I think, humans overseeing the projects, but the machines doing uh, a lot of the grunt work that'll be necessary to come up with these solutions. So I think, I think it's very, very exciting in the next decade to come. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of exciting things happening in artificial intelligence, especially focused on medicine and healthcare. And I want to bring up the uh, AI in medicine conference that I recently attended uh, and hearing from you, how you've seen that organization grow and what have you kind of learned from speaking to the attendees from the conferences of past and also looking ahead to the ones that are scheduled for this year. Uh, can you talk about the growth of AI Med and what you see as, uh, you know, some surprising um, lessons learned from uh, going to the conference and speaking at various conferences that can be really applied to what's going on in AI today? Yeah, I think it's uh, always great to talk to people on the ground and on the forefront of dealing with um, dollars for research as well as for um, patient care and what people really need. And I think um, I think one observation I, I've been making is I think doctors now more than ever are intrigued rather than being suspicious of uh, some of the data science and artificial intelligence um, being used in medicine. Um, I think they realize the potential, uh, something like three quarters of the clinicians feel that data science artificial intelligence will be a significant resource in the near future. Um, but only something like 15% feel like they're adequately prepared and something like five to 10% even feel that their hospitals are prepared. So I think there's a big gap in terms of under level of understanding and appreciation for AI versus um, what people feel like it could actually do in the near future. So I think it behooves us to educate each other as much as we can and perhaps also embrace the data science community um, to work together on getting a higher level of um, knowledge and education in this area. So. I see even, um, you know, Alan, it was great to, for me to see some very senior department leaders from, you know, very well-known medical centers who usually are speakers at medical meetings come to AI Med and just want to attend the meeting and, and learn from, you know, some of the best people in the field to, to, to figure out how they could best use uh, AI in the medicine. So I think it's a matter of 
getting educated and appreciating what wearing the new lens of data science and artificial intelligence can do for their own subspecialty. And I think I challenge anyone to find a field that cannot be at least partly influenced by um, better data science and artificial intelligence. And remember, artificial intelligence is not just deep learning or machine learning. It involves um, a cognitive approach to um, um, data science like IBM Watson. It involves um, blockchain for data security. It involves uh, augmented and virtual reality for education and training. It involves um, um, wearable technology and Internet of Things and artificial intelligence there. So it's a very, very wide range of possible new tools and methodologies that can really help the physicians. And, and as you aptly pointed out, physician burnout is at a, at a as high a level as I can ever remember. Something like um, close to 90% or more of clinicians are either neutral or unhappy with their jobs. Two out of three physicians no longer recommend medicine as a career, which is especially troubling for me. So I'm hoping that AI in medicine or AI med is not solely a series of meetings, even though it's international this year, but a, a, a movement that will sustain a higher level interest in medicine for us and as well as for the future generation. And you mentioned that AI med is going international this year with conferences in Europe and Asia. How important is it to have collaboration and communication across borders to really identify solutions and uh, new uh, innovation around artificial intelligence to impact healthcare. Uh, can you talk about your experiences speaking abroad or going abroad and what you've learned from other countries? Yeah. Well, it's a lot of fun for me to go abroad because um, I'm Stanford educated and trained. So we tend to be um, very influenced by deep learning uh, and other places, other epicenters around the world are perhaps less so. So um, in Europe, for instance, I just got back from Stockholm um, this past week. And in Europe, you know, the artificial intelligence meetings are just as much about sort of the traditional artificial intelligence methodologies, like knowledge representation would be one kind of sort of older school artificial intelligence, and they're still, I think, very educated in those areas. Uh, when you go to China and parts of Asia, um, there's more uh, a balance towards robotics and facial recognition and other types of utilization for artificial intelligence. You know, so I really learn um, a great deal going to different places around the world and learning what they're doing with artificial intelligence and specifically AI in medicine and healthcare. Um, I'm actually going to write a piece on um, use of artificial intelligence in medicine around the world. It's really uh, great synergy when we go to a, a different site and learn uh, from them what they consider a good use of artificial intelligence medicine. I'll, I'll give a, a, a real example, on the ground example. When we went to China, um, as you know, they're a real uh, powerhouse for facial recognition software and 
um, use it for security purposes. And when I suggested that uh, facial recognition may be a very good tool in medicine and healthcare, I had in mind sort of having patients' pictures taken and that you could match them for possible um, undiagnosed syndromes. And um, what they use it for is actually for security within the hospital and making sure that, for instance, um, some of the sales force doesn't just um, illegally go into the hospital. So um, I think they weren't thinking of a medical use, but thinking more of a security use. So I think by having different countries come together and pool our expertise and think about how we each use artificial intelligence is going to be a, a great benefit for everybody and hopefully accelerate the process of all of the world learning about artificial intelligence and medicine. So very excited about the meeting in London in September. Um, as you know, the UK is making a big push towards AI and medicine with the recent Prime Minister, um, Theresa May, putting emphasis on AI and precision medicine. Um, the NHS just uh, pushed forward a, um, a document as well as a workforce on AI and medicine and digital uh, healthcare. Um, China is now um, making also uh, a push and is account accounting for about half the dollars now in the entire world in artificial intelligence. So they've made a, a tremendous push towards um, uh, making sure that AI is a, a major emphasis in their future strategic uh, development. And U.S. as a response, I think, is starting to um, make a similar push because I think even though the U.S. enjoys the leadership position right now in terms of the number of startups and um, publications, but we're being quickly... Um, eclipsed by some of the efforts in China, at least in terms of dollars, and also in the, in the near future, probably also publications as well as applications. So um, I think a little competition is good <laughs> to push everyone's agenda to improve patient health care. And I think especially clinicians around the world are really just more focused on using this as a, a brand new resource and paradigm shift to improve patient care. Great. And one last question for you, Dr. Chang, is if you could look in your crystal ball and ahead to 2019 and beyond, what one thing or maybe a couple of things do you think are going to really take artificial intelligence you know, to the next level? Is there a certain area that's going to be a focus of companies or investment? Or do you think there's going to be a breakthrough uh, with clinical uh, or research studies around AI? Uh, what do you think the future holds for artificial intelligence here in the United States? Great question. Much harder to come up with a great answer. But um, I think the deep learning hype or level of interest and enthusiasm is going to wane on uh, the next few years. And I think um, there's going to be a much more serious push to add what I call cognition to um, artificial intelligence and a much higher level of emphasis on the human brain collaborating with artificial intelligence 
to come up with um, a smarter way of practicing medicine. And for me, I keep it simple. I, I say, um, let's not call it artificial intelligence necessarily, but let's call it medical intelligence. Because if you call, if you say medical intelligence is machine intelligence plus clinician intelligence or human intelligence, and then it really makes it less relevant uh, which is dominating that particular um, thinking process or cognitive process. So I think the next five to 10 years, we'll see more emphasis on how to make AI even smarter as we head towards um, a higher level of artificial intelligence that can actually answer questions rather than just looking at medical images. I think the yield is going to be much higher. So in other words, I think AI in medicine is going to follow a very common technological trend, which is we over expect in the short run, but we under expect for the long run. So I think AI in medicine will follow the same same trend that 10 years from now will be all amazed at the capabilities of artificial intelligence and, and um, it's going to take all of us to be patient and put in a much uh, stronger effort, at least uh, from the clinicians, to get themselves involved and educated on artificial intelligence. Thank you, Dr. Chang, for sharing your experiences and your and these fascinating stories around artificial intelligence and healthcare. Uh, I want to conclude today's podcast by really saying that you know this area of interest is going to continue to drive a lot of the developments we have in technology and innovation, and hopefully there'll be others joining us for the ride. So thank you again for your time, and thank you everyone for listening to today's SoCal Hymns podcast. Thank you, Alan, and thank you, everybody. Join us next month for a conversation with David Finn on managing the aftermath of a cyber incident with a strategic incident response plan. Thank you for listening to the SoCal Hymns podcast series. Special thanks to Esteban Proano, our audio and mixing engineer, for helping us to produce our podcast series.